0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you, uh, as you know, I'm a big Eagles fan, and and they got their ass kicked by Dallas, and and I have good friends on Facebook who who are Dallas fans, who we go back and forth, and we're very funny, and and we bust each other's balls. It's no problem. But this past week, I had some guy who I went to college with, and he knows people I know, so we became friends, and he puts like a snarky comment every once in a while. No big deal. So all I put was I said, you know, the Eagles suck, Maxwell sucks, everyone sucks, blah, blah, blah. And I said, don't get too cocky, Dallas fans, because Romo's gone and you guys have looked like crap. Well, this guy goes into a tirade how, you know, we should have a bet who's going to have a better season and this and that. Nothing I said. Nothing I said in my statement. Then he goes, he says, you know, what we should do is I should be on your show. We could both wear stocking shirts. And if the, who has a better record, the Cowboys can wear, you can wear a Cowboys jersey. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, as I replied, I said, first of all, why would you be on my show? First of all, you live in New Jersey. I don't even know what you do. And I said, and, and I'm not, if you read my statement, you would see, I wasn't saying that the Eagles are going to have a better record than the Cowboys. I was saying the Eagles suck, but the Cowboys have gotten lucky. They're not going to do that well. And without Romo, it's a hard thing. So the guy proceeds, it just cracks me up and writes on my wall. Hey man, I thought you were cool. I knew you were college, sort of. We hung out. You know what? I don't want to be on your show. So go suck LA cock. And I was like, I was sitting there going, wait a second, in caps, and he wrote that in caps, and I I think, I think this guy's a lawyer, and I'm going, I'm going, wait a second. You know, my friends who are Cowboys fans don't write stuff like that. Like, my friends know that on my wall, if I curse, I put a little dash instead of effing, you know, but I just can't believe that someone I barely even know would write that. And it just cracked me up. And the Eagles do suck. And my fan, my guest today, Brian McClendon. How you doing, Brian? (laughs)
1: Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Now, you're you're a big Redskins fan. I'm a Redskins fan. I'm kind of, I I don't know if I'm a big Redskins fan. That story reminded me of, uh, I made a bet. uh, I was on TMZ. The first year I was on TMZ, I made a bet over the Dodgers and the Angels, because I'm a huge Dodger fan and one of my coworkers is a big Angels fan. If I lost the bet, I had to wear an Angels hat. And I did. I wore an angel's hat on television. I always regretted it. Well I still regret it. It was a terrible moment. Don't bet things you oh, can't but, afford to lose. Oh, but no, this one, I don't even know the guy. I never said it.
0: bet like I did have a deal a few years ago. My friend Carlos, he uh, bartends at Gordon Biersch. He's a big Cowboy fan. And we were going to watch the Eagles-Cowboys game. Same thing. And I had, a, I had just gotten it. was like oh, God, It was like 10 years ago for my 40th birthday. I got in this Cooper. Someone gave me a Cooper 40 jersey. And I remember sitting there and I said, okay. Here's what's going to happen. The next Sunday, we'll get together and watch football after the Eagles-Cowboys. Or I think they played on Monday. I said, but you have to wear the Cooper jersey. And he had, like, like it was an awful, I forget, it was, like, an Aikman or someone I hated. You know, like, right. and I remember, and I put it out on the edge, and, and I won, thank God. But after, like, a half, I let him take it off. Because that's just, like, right. it's just a thing. of For me, it's not that. But this guy, I just couldn't believe he was just so, like, got all up in arms. And I'm like, first of all, I don't even know you. Second of all. I put, my statement was, the Eagles suck. Right. And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. and he gets pissed and they capitalized, suck, go suck that LA. And then, of course, someone writes, oh, I didn't know you liked LA knob. And I'm just, then I'm
1: cracking up. <laughs> <'cause, you know.
0: laughs> so anyway, uh, Brian was with the TMZ. We're going to talk about it. But we're, now you, you grew up in near the DC area.
1: Yeah, that's right. I grew up in PG County, which is like off the southeast edge of Washington, DC, um, in Bowie, which was sort of a small town. It It, it grew a lot in the time I lived there.
0: Okay, now now as a well, you're a tall guy. Yeah. As a kid, were you an athlete? Did you play sports or?
1: I played soccer. Um, I played basketball, but I was I was short when I was playing basketball. I didn't really grow until I got well into high school. So I was not like I wasn't like particularly good at sports, but it was fun. I played soccer. I ran cross country. I was a good runner by the time I got tall in high school.
0: Now what? Now now when did you start following this passion? Because as you know, you do you do stand up comedy, and you went to USC, I believe, film school. Yep. And so, and I know you were an editor for TMZ, but then you also appeared on camera. Right. At what point were you a kid? Did you, were you fascinated with TV and movies and comedy? Or, I mean, what makes you go, you know, what made you go into this field that you're doing now?
1: Well, okay. So as a kid, I remember my, uh, my parents let this friend of theirs babysit us when I was like nine or 10 years old and he showed us Eddie Murphy raw and, uh, And that was just unlike anything I'd ever seen in my entire life. I remember just crying, laughing. It was so amazing. You know, and it changed my life. Now, I didn't think at that point or for a long time that I would ever actually do stand-up. I kind of wanted to do it, and it was a thing that was building and building, and I wanted to do it more and more. And I was working at TMZ. This is early on there. And Lisa Lampanelli came in to guest host and uh she was talking about something or other and i ripped her and she turns, she starts howling laughing and she goes you know where are you getting up as in you were performing stand-up and i said i'm not and she said well you should and i was like okay this is this is it like i either do this now or like you know cut the bullshit right like this is this is the time to do it or don't do it and so that's that was it i started going i started hitting open mics i just nothing but just brutal open mics for a year just pounding it out that's where
0: you now now but now but when you were younger you wanted to do stand up it's funny because eddie murphy was such a, i remember the albums in the first one and just we were talking about it the other year Goony, goo goo looking mother and that was just so so funny and then especially he was you know he's like two years older than me so it was we could associate like when we started doing comedy when he brought his albums out in philadelphia it was it was an amazing time because he was just so dynamic and his movies were so great in the beginning so great I mean, when you when i sit there and Growing up 10 minutes from Philadelphia in New Jersey, we've been in Philadelphia all the time and like trading places came out. We knew and we noticed, like, hey, wait a second, Chestnut Street goes the other way. That's a movie mistake. <laughs> but you watched him and you said this, you know, it was amazing. And, and he did influence a lot of comics. More, I'm a little older than you, so our influence was more was the Carlin or the Pryor. Sure. But now, what made you sit there as you were going through high school? You went to USC mm-hmm. for film school. Right. Which, first of all, you must be a smart guy because USC is pretty hard to get into.
1: It was easier then.
0: Was it? it, was, was, <laughs> it was, no, wasn't really. I mean. <laughs> it
1: really was easier. I mean, I don't know. You know, it it was easier. I look at like I saw the Newsweek thing of like colleges and to get into, and I was like, yeah, I like that. I wouldn't get in right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I I wanted to go. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a director. All that kind of thing. And uh, I wrote for years and years. And writing in L. A. is pretty brutal. Um, it's hard to get honest feedback, and you spend so much time constructing something that is you know, fairly elaborate. And it's hard when you don't have the right connections and you're young. It's kind of, you know, you can beat your head against the wall a lot. And when I stopped doing that and started writing for stand-up, the response is, there's no lie. Oh, you know, the audience is, I mean, you can... Different audiences will tell you different things about your material, but it's real and it's immediate, and it's a different kind of writing. But it's it was a huge breath of fresh air, and I got way less depressed, which is weird because you know people always think comedians are super depressed, but like I was super in my head and upset all the time when I was writing longer form stuff.
0: See, I'm so tired about that, and and, and I and I'm still I still pisses me off. People always say comedians are always depressed, and it's funny. There was a guy named John, uh, John Regi who was a great comedian who was. Written for 30 Rock and, you know, it was one of and And we were talking, you know, and he was a brilliant comic. But we were sitting there talking and he's like, I'm not depressed. And it's like, I'm not depressed. I mean, sure, we go through depression. But I hate, like, lately. Yeah. Especially in the last two years. Like, no one said it 10, 15 years ago. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, Richard Lewis came out and said he was battling depression. But no one was like, oh, comedians are depressed. Right. And and, it, and it's annoying right now in the fact that every, like, you know, there has been, and it's sad, there's been a few comics that have killed themselves in the last few years. Right open micers or whatever in that area. And and that's awful. And one right. guy who did it, I was bummed because I saw him the week before and he used to come to a place where I book. He didn't even do comedy. He just like booked it. Right. And he would hang out at this one bar I used to book and play guitar. But then everyone started doing this hug a comedian thing. And it sort of like made us sound like we're, we're just like, we're like these, Im, like these people who are like, some in uh, a waiting uh, like a wasteland like we're all by ourselves in a fetal position like drool <laughs> drools coming <laughs> out us. Uh, I mean, and have you
1: noticed that at I all? have totally noticed I and I've noticed that like that specifically for sure and I think the Robin Williams thing was hugely jarring for people like oh, they, yeah. people couldn't they couldn't understand that and so they had to process it and so then they just made this sort of category you know and, and I do think like there's the other there's like they think that comedians are depressed but also super funny all the time in like their personal lives. Like, and you know, I know comedians who are on all the time, but I also know a lot of comedians who are not on when they're not on stage. Like Jesus, just relax a little bit. You know, the
0: ones who aren't on when they're not on stage are the 95% ones that are funny. And and I agree with you completely. I remember when I used to be on the road, I'd work with this one guy out of Philly and, uh, I would be sitting there and we'd be in like some crap gig and like an hour away in like Long Beach Island or whatever at some bar called like quarter deck or whatever. Right. And I'd be sitting there going over my notes. Looking, right. You know, and he'd be like up to two girls right away. Hey, we're the comedians. And I'm like, dude,
1: <laughs> I want to work
0: on my act. Right. Know? I want to. Because the worst thing is if you say, hey, we're the comedians. And you go up and you suck. Right. And you come up looking like a dick. Right. But now, have you noticed that? Because you, you now you're you started out in the L.A. scene, which, yeah. which you know, which is weird because being in the D.C., Baltimore, that was a great breeding end for comics. I mean, Patton Oswald's from Baltimore. Yep. Playing Capash, we all started at the Comedy Factory Outlet in Philly and in Baltimore. Uh, there's been a bunch of Tony Woods. There's been a bunch of people. He's a fat doctor who's the legend. I don't know if you know
1: him, but uh, Martin so, Lawrence out of PG. Yeah,
0: so number did you, you? But you, when you were back there, you never really wanted to get on stage. I mean, you no. were, were you afraid, or you just didn't really know where to go, or you were you were young
1: though? I was young. I was. I mean, I left when I was seventeen. So, yeah, I was young. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah, I how'd really you figured pick, it out.
0: How did you pick USC to go? I mean, it's, it's a big move. I mean, it's, you know, as I said, we're young. And it's across – I mean, you, you can't get further across the country than
1: USC. So, US. yeah, that's – uh, so growing up, like I was growing up in Maryland. All my extended family was in Southern California. But my first choice to go to college was Davidson, which is like this small school in North Carolina, right? And – um, I was I was pretty religious, and, you know, Davidson was my first choice. I applied, like, early application or whatever, and I had, like, all the SAT scores and GPA to get in, and I didn't get in for some reason. And that was sort of, like, the the, you know, water flowing downhill, like, easy—like, that's like, oh, I'll go here, and, you know, maybe I'll end up being, like, a pastor— So that
0: was in the back of your head, baby. Yeah, that was
1: definitely in the like in in the middle. Like, you know, that could work out because my dad's a pastor, and I was like, oh well, you know, this that could work out. That could be fun. Um, and I didn't get in, and then that was sort of jarring. And I was like, well, what do I actually want to do? And so that sent me on a whole nother path. And I applied to USC and got in, and came out here my sister was at pomona college not cal poly pomona like the little small liberal arts school pomona, pomona college she was out here and we were really close and so that was another big draw to come out here um but yeah it was it was i mean i was very much on an island in college you know but it was it's college who you know
0: yeah i don't know and you're in southern california yeah, i mean it's all right a bitch about that exactly. I mean you're in california you're the yeah. winners everyone's freezing their asses off you're like i don't want to go home yeah i don't want to freeze so now now you graduate Mm -hmm. and now what do you start trying to get job-wise?
1: Well, when I graduated, uh, I followed a girl to Spain.
0: Okay, so just you were in love, and she just...
1: Yeah, I was in love, and she was going to do a one-year master's out there, and I was like, okay, uh, you know, I'll go teach English, and bum around, knock around Spain. We had met in Spain the year before on, like, a study abroad thing, and I had, you know, a bunch of contacts out there, and I had taught English when I was there in school, and... You know, this is like this weird fact about Spain. When they were under the dictatorship, they pulled English out of all of the curriculum. So there's all these well, they're they're now older, but at the time, you know, fifteen years ago there were just tons of middle aged businessmen who had terrible English skills. This is fairly lucrative to just go around and hang out with these businessmen and speak in English. You you didn't have to teach much. You know, they're just trying to get up to conversational so they could hang out with, you know, their British counterparts and know what the hell is going on. And uh, it was super fun. I mean, it was an awesome, awesome experience. I went out, so I lived in Spain for a year, and then I came back and uh, moved back to L.A., and I started working in subtitling.
0: Just Okay, be- no, there's a big place in Burbank that does that. I know that.
1: What's it called? Te-
0: technicolor? No, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking closed caption.
1: My bad. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so SDI was the company that I worked for, and uh, man, that sucked.
0: <laughs> so what do you do? You just yeah, yeah, listen to something? Yeah. No,
1: I wasn't even doing the translation. I was just doing digitizing and encoding. So I was like in a tape room, in a room, you know. 20 by 20 room just filled all directions up and down with tapes and film stock and that the studios were sending to us so we would digit our department would digitize everything onto our computer servers and then all the you know international people would translate it and then so we were just giving these they were just like you know rough copies
0: you must be like maybe i should have become a pastor yeah <laughs> you know, maybe you
1: i made crap money and they you know whatever i worked a ton of hours and it was not fun but i learned tons and tons of post-production specs and so then when i left there to become an assistant editor i you know i had knowledge that very few assistant editors had you know in
0: terms so of- where did you go did you go to did you go to TMZ at that point?
1: No, no, no. At that point, the my first gig off of that was um, funniest America's Funniest Game Show Moments.
0: Okay, so it was one of those. It was a
1: clip show, right? So I began a string of working on clip shows. I left, you know, steady job, whatever, it's crappy pay, but still you're 25, steady job. Okay, what am I going to do? I'm leaving for an eight-week job as an assistant editor, but like I said, I had just tons and tons of knowledge and information, so I went from assisting editing to editing pretty quickly. But yeah, just a bunch of these different clip shows, Game Show Moments Gone, Bananas... (laughs) <laughs> uh, Forbes wealthiest
0: women. So just like anything you find, like True TV reels or all that stuff, like yeah, said, okay. or like
1: NBC specials when they like cancel a show because they just don't want to pay the overhead. There we were a bunch of specials we did for NBC.
0: But were you feeling fulfilled at all? Because I mean, you had your degree in in yeah. up and in the background, you probably still had that stand up thing. It's like whenever we don't go on stage, you go oh, yeah. right. Were you feeling fulfilled, or were you just like uh, you know just you weren't sure what you wanted to do yet?
1: It was exciting because it was like because I was having, I was progressing, you know. Once I left the subtitling thing, you know, you could, you're working on the shows and and they might be silly or, you know, not your passion or whatever, but you, when you go from just doing very rote sort of mechanical digital work <laughs> to, you know, having some creativity and being really appreciated and, you know, you can increase your pay scale quickly, I, I was super excited at that period. You know, I was like, "Oh, this is great." Creatively, you know, I was writing on the side and it wasn't going particularly well, and that was not fun. But professionally, it was going well. What and- kind of
0: writing were you doing? Were you doing screenplays? Screenplays. Okay. And now, were you, what what was your genre? Were they comedy, or what did you? Were they drama? Were they? Are you a sci-fi guy? Like, I'm not a big sci-fi guy. I, I give credit to anyone who could write a sci-fi screenplay because screenplays are a pain in the ass. But to sit there and write there and think of like explosion bigger than you know the world's biggest explosion and right you sit there and go how can you sit there and as a screener like that how can you make a difference to a producer where you can describe an explosion right like Shane Black or someone else d- described already like
1: totally. a cop show you totally know? yeah I mean that's I can't it's hard for me to write serious fantasy stuff because I always the suspension of disbelief is really hard. <laughs> like I it's I come on that how could that even happen right. like I, the the crazy thing that gets a sci-fi you know script started is like oh, that's ridiculous like no i i couldn't sell myself on anything like that ever yeah no i was writing like dramas with with comic through lines okay yeah
0: so now you're doing that and now you're you're going on and now and now tmz comes along yeah and now tmz how, how long ago did you start working for them
1: Uh, it was eight, a little over eight years. So they weren't what they are now. No. Okay. So it was a website. So when I got hired on, it was a website and they were transitioning over to becoming a TV show. And you were hired on as an editor. I was hired on as an editor. How do you edit a website? Well, they knew they were going to, they were developing for TV. Um, so they knew they were developing content for TV and they, you know, trying just, they were just trying stuff out. Um, that was one thing they do super well is just. They just try things. They build in enough time to where they can mess around. They can play.
0: So, now, when you started working there, did you think it would become, I mean, the brand, I mean, it's a brand I and mean, that's, that's basically what it is. I and mean, it's a brand yeah. that, you know, and it's become, I mean, for me, sometimes I read, I, I look at the website and I go, oh, that's bull crap. You know, I, cause some of the stuff doesn't pertain to me. I don't care if little Jeezy is dating, you know, Bojo Boo Boo or whatever. Oh, who you know,
1: could care I about Fetty Wops? Exactly.
0: I mean, there's some stuff, beef. Which I don't even know these, I mean, so it's so funny when I look at it, it's like. The, the Teen Moms and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah. I, I saw something like you guys had a thing that said such and such, and I'm like, I had to look it up, and I'm like, and I always say this, and then you you were in that field, like with the whole thing with like the Duggars and, and Jared and Teen Moms. Right. And what people don't get is, of course they're gonna screw up because they never expected to be a celebrity. They didn't sit there like you want to do comedy. Right. You went to film school. You know, I did comedy. We expect maybe we're gonna something's gonna happen. And right. If it You're happens, building
1: up that they'll, thick they'll, skin. They'll a little bit. But yeah.
0: when something happens like that, when they give Jared millions upon millions, when he's just a bum fuck from the Midwest, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. when they did give him that, right. well, of course these guys are going to screw up because he, he has no right – and for me, I always get very angry at that. He has no right making that money when I know people who are so talented right. who are sitting there Working scraping by and, they, no one knows, and they're in obscurity, and then this dope gets that. So it's just crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not surprising. Uh, <laughs> you know – the uh, the celebrity culture of of just weirdos and wackos is yeah I contributed to it for eight years I don't know what to tell you man <laughs> no but no but,
0: but people love that it's like also it's like it's reality TV it's the same way I mean right.
1: people sit there you know
0: you watch the Kardashians who are bigger than you know everything and you go wait a second right there's, this, there's a show I don't know if you saw it years ago it's on Hulu people it's called Action it's with uh, Jay Moore okay. one of the best shows no one got it no it's you know it was before its time eh, it gets no run but then you know the Kardashians blow up. Right. So, so now when you go to TMZ, now you go in as the editor. Right. And now all of a sudden it starts, you get that first season and it's on maybe once a week or what was this, What was your schedule? No,
1: like? it was a daily show from the very beginning. It was a daily show. So, um,
0: so what was your schedule like? Like you had to get there early in the morning or what? how did it work for you guys?
1: Early on, I, I'd have to get there at like 530 in the morning and we would run until four, or five in the afternoon. Um because you know they were just concerned about the next day's content they didn't know what was we did updates more often at that point in time you know the show would go out for the east coast early and then if something changed in the news then we would try and update and and make sure in the early early TMZ days this was Britney meltdown time okay so in the afternoon Britney would you know drive across town and then just start stumbling around in the valley or something and oh my god she's losing her mind yeah well okay um but it at at that point it was the show made a point to stay up on things that happened during the day so we were there longer in the afternoon um but as it went on you know they sort of found their niche and and you know they're with the tv show they weren't as Concerned about pressing on the breaking news because they they could never keep up with the website. I mean, you know, why try? It's just futile. The website can turn around a story in no time and will continue to turn around a story 24 hours a day. So the TV show got its own identity, and you know, I started coming in at six, and then depending on there were a bunch of side projects that came in and out, but you know, leave in the mid-afternoon.
0: Now, as you're working and it's getting bigger and bigger. Now, at what point did you? start becoming the on-screen guy because i didn't watch it from the beginning and my girlfriend watches it and i mean i know you eventually what 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 was one of the reasons why they put you on screen was there a reason because
1: they knew
0: you wanted to do stand-up or they said okay he's got some comedy chops or they said okay he's out there trying to
1: do No, it's much more random than that but it is is it really? yeah there's a very specific story so this was just like a month into the first season um they had a question about soccer And they knew I knew about soccer. And so they, you know, they called over to my office, said, hey, you know, bring Brian out. We want to talk to him. This is while they're taping the show. And uh, I was wearing a Mexico soccer jersey that particular day. And I had really long, like, sort of, you know, white boy kind of Jufro hair and a red headband on that day. So, why this... <laughs> <laughs> why, <laughs> ah, that's the best question. So the headband. I just,
0: it was like, it was just, it was cool. I guess. Well,
1: I had, well, I had a lot of hair, right? So it's kind of, eh, just keep it out of my, I'm going to be editing all day. Just keep this crap out of my face. Um,
0: so, so you're, you're
1: back like in the vaults. So you're, yeah, you're not yeah, expecting any of this. Yeah. Not expecting any of this. I mean, there were other days where I would, they, you know, you'd be sitting out on camera to, to watch what's going on or pay attention to what's going on. But I was on some other task in the morning that particular day. So, yes, yeah, so I was in the back, and they called me out. I'm basically a soccer clown. Like, you know, giant hair, red, green, jersey. And so, you know, they made fun of me, and that was funny. And at that time, a lot of what happened on the show is they would bring new people on, sort of make fun of them for a couple weeks, then the joke gets old, and they, eh, bye-bye. Yeah, see you later. But the other thing that was happening at that time was Obama was running for president the first time. And the show was... Definitely more conservative at the time. Um, and uh, I mean, that's just the energy they were feeding off of. And I was sort of the only person in the newsroom who could hold my own against Harvey in a serious political argument.
0: Because you're very versed in politics? Or you just, I mean, because you're coming from an intelligent background? Or...
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I read some, <laughs> I read the New York Times, I read the New Yorker, I read a little bit of Economist, you know, whatever. I, I filter through a bunch of different media sources, just because that's something that I'm interested in. And yeah, so that sort of became how I carved out my niche. And then Rick and I, the guy who stood next to me for years on TMZ, started uh, another major trend on the show, which was being really mean to harvey because <laughs> uh, that in the first two seasons that was not so much part of the show so
0: people weren't really mean because it's so funny because it's like i always sit there i laugh because he's like he's always like a baby like, yeah. you know, like when you sit there and you watch like the hate mail which always cracks me up and i love the fact that they read the hate mail but yeah it's i mean it's one of those things where it's like you know it's like anything it's like that teacher you know you can get upset Right. Like if you sit there and push a certain button, and then they're always defensive. Like then they're almost like apologizing for their behavior, and then you're sitting there going, "What are you apologizing for? They're making fun of you."
1: Right. Totally.
0: So you guys would start making fun of him.
1: So we started ripping him. I remember uh, we were shooting a Thanksgiving show, um, like wraparounds or some goofy thing we were doing to try and spice up a Thanksgiving show, and Harvey did this sign off, and it was so disingenuous. He was like okay, uh, well, you know, I hope you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving with your friends and your family. And it just came off so flat. And I said, did that come off so flat because you don't have any friends or any family? Right. <laughs> and the room fell out. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, one of many. But that was, that was a moment of like, wow, you really said that to him. Kind so now ones. as you're as you're
0: doing the show and as your role's getting bigger, when you're yeah. still doing editing but you're still on the, so mm-hmm. I mean how does it work? So like you would edit and then they would say, "Okay, you're going to be on." And then
1: no, so the shooting all took place so early in the morning uh, that almost so everybody you see in that newsroom has a real job. So everybody, you know, and is most most of them are basically not doing their real job during the time of taping, which is the first first thing in the morning. So yeah, so I would come in early uh, get assigned some video, watch some video, and then everybody comes out and have the pitch meeting and then uh, and then go back and edit for a while. And then, as the years went on, I was on the sports show for a while and, uh, and yeah, it's, that's how it would go.
0: Now did you enjoy the sports show because are you because' are you, are, sport are you a sport you're a sports fan, but are you a huge fan or just a...
1: I am a sports fan. Um, I'm not like I, I, don't, I feel like I'm not the typical contemporary sports fan. like I don't play fantasy football. I'm not into UFC.
0: I don't watch. I don't. I don't get it. I. I, I think it's also I'm spoiled because I grew up, you know, watching Ali box and mm-hmm. watching, you know, Hearns and Hangler and Boom Boom Mancini and just right. fights. And now boxing is a, is a joke. I mean, boxing you really can't watch it. It's like you know Mayweather, right. you know, as I always call it, the wife beater. You sit there and you you, you you pay that money and you you know what's gonna happen. He's gonna win in fifteen rounds or 12, right. win at 12 rounds actually. Sorry. Right. But uh but in the boxing it's like heavyweight champ. And I, I know there's a glitch go. I don't
1: right. know, I don't know which, <laughs> it, which one Which it, one it, it is
0: yeah. or care. Yeah, but so you're not a UFC fan.
1: Not a UFC fan. Uh I love baseball. Like I still super, I watch a ton of Dodgers baseball, listen to baseball. You're not
0: an Orioles fan?
1: I'm Orioles in my American league team. Um, you know, I was born out here in L.A., okay. so we moved to Maryland when I was five, and when I grew growing up in Maryland, uh, this is so funny, like how different everything is, the newspapers wouldn't have the scores from the West Coast because it was too late on East Coast time, and they had a phone number you could dial for free for the George Michael sports machine. Oh, God. You could dial in for free and find out the score, and you could listen to the box score over the phone. And so I would do pretty much every morning growing up in Maryland of isn't the it, Dodgers.
0: Isn't that funny? Because, well, for me, I, growing up, I was a huge Phillies fan. And the same thing, I remember getting the carrier Post, the paper. Didn't have the scores from the night before. Right. But, but I remember it was always great when I was young and the Phillies would play the Padres or the Giants. And back then, they didn't televise home games except right. until a network called Prison came out, which is now its Comcast. But when they weigh games, they would televise. And I remember my parents would put me to bed and I had a little black and white in my room. And it was such a cool thing because it was ten thirty our time. Right. And the Phillies would be on and I felt like such a rebel putting on with no sound. (laughs) And my parents knew what I was doing. You know, they knew and they knew I'd be asleep in the first inning. But I forgot about the papers. You're right. It's like you could sit there and you sit there and go you know, especially if it wasn't like the internet, you couldn't just find out the, you know,
1: insane. You had no idea. Yeah. You had very little concept of what was going on. And it's not like an AM
0: radio just around the house. You know, you you didn't sit there and go, okay. And it's not like they did sports. There wasn't sports talk stations. No. Nope. It was like regular stations. And you're funny. So, yeah, so you would sit there. And so you were a big Dodgers
1: fan. So you would always get their scores. Yeah. So, yeah. So I held the, I, I kept the, And it was easy to stay a Lakers fan at that time. Obviously, Lakers were huge in the 80s and then into the early 90s. And they tapered off, obviously. But, yeah.
0: So now you're working for TMZ and now are people starting to recognize you from TV and now do, are you running at celebrities who are, may blame you for the stories when it's, it's you're not the guy breaking the story. Who breaks the stories? So there's
1: a whole news desk, right? There's a whole news operation and they're working their butt off. They work extremely hard. Um, and, you know, I, I can't talk too much about the, their, you know, what they do. Cause I did, I was never on the news desk. Like you said, I'm not breaking the stories. Um, and I did start getting recognized and my wife didn't believe me. Right.
0: Like she she didn't believe people. Yeah, right.
1: she was like, oh come on, nobody recognized you. Like you know, at the grocery store in the beer aisle or Home Depot, like people are like, hey, you're that guy, you're that guy. whatever. And she's like, this is not happening. I don't believe you. That's not happening. So we went to the Lakers game, um, Christmas, uh, the game they played Cleveland, the big Christmas Day game. This right. is like you know, late 2000s, LeBron's early Cleveland time. Uh, Kobe's still strong in LA. Um, so we go and my aunt has these great seats, like three rows back from the court or whatever. So we're sitting there and it's insane. We have a great time, whatever. And, uh, the game's over, you know, we're down close and everybody has to shuffle out. So like, ah, well, let's just, you know, we just sit here for a minute. So we're sitting there and Arsenio Hall comes walking across and he goes, oh man, I love your work. You're so funny. And he gives me a big high five and a hug. And my wife is just like, what? She's, her mind is just blown. She's like, there's no way you set that up with Arsenio Hall. Like, you don't have his phone number. This is not a plant. You didn't. And, and she can't believe it's happening in front of her eyes. So that was kind of like the big moment of, oh, of, uh, well, this is really a thing. This is, this is, the show is, is pretty successful and funny and, and. People are hit, are capturing onto it. Well,
0: what's that like for you though? When when you hear the story, and then people probably see you, and you probably get when you go out, people probably see, especially in L.A. I mean, in, in any other town, people wouldn't recognize it because people don't watch. I mean, TMZ watches everywhere, but you know, they they wouldn't think you know if you're in Baltimore, right? Or Florida, they wouldn't think they don't think hey, it's you. Hey, that's got because why would they from TMZ be there? You right. Know what I mean, but so now what what I mean, what does it feel like when people you know they got to be looking at you sometimes? Yeah. When, is that the guy? Is that you know? Is that the guy? I mean, have, have you had anyone be mean to you? Like being like, "Oh, that's that, that's that guy. I don't like that guy." Or
1: No, I haven't really had people be mean to me. I mean, people try and be snarky and like say, you know, they'll <laughs> they'll reinforce like how much they like the girls on the show. If they don't like me, they're like, "I really like the girls. I really like, you know, the blonde girl in front. What's her name?" Then no, they know, they know nobody's name. Nobody ever knows anybody's name well, from see,
0: the show. I I only know well I know I know you because I know you from. You know, and he, we're friends on Facebook, and you stand up. Right, so right, right, right. And I know Charles,
1: of course. Cause, now, what is Charles' job? Charles' job is, I mean, Charles... So Harvey runs the whole ship, and Charles is, and another guy are sort of Cher being second in command.
0: Right. And then I believe it's Ryan. I just know, because he's an Eagles fan. Ryan my, Reagan. My girlfriend always goes, he's a director or a producer? Or I artist.
1: don't know what his title is. He does a lot He's them.
0: the He's the Eagles guy. He's the Eagles yeah, guy. Yeah, because my girlfriend will say,
1: hey, uh... That guy Ryan,
0: and then the other people I don't I I know like names like Zach and Dax, but I don't but I don't know who they are. And right. And the girls I know none of their names. I know I don't even what's the African American girl's name?
1: Uh, well the one now is Raquel.
0: The one who's always you know she, and then and the and the, uh, the 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 brother's really cool. He cracks me up. Van. Van, yeah, he's funny. Van's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, very funny dude. Very funny dude. So, Good so, dude.
0: So you're doing so you're doing that, and then what year was Lampanelli on that that made you want to do stand up? Uh,
1: so that was. Just 20 that was like 2010
0: okay so at that point you're on TV you're on screen a lot yeah and now you want to do stand-up right and you know as I said when I started out it was a Philadelphia it was a very good community of talent which everyone I mean Adam McKay was in that group Paul uh-huh. Tompkins. I mean people all went on to do things Keith Robinson one of the most phenomenal comics around um out here you're coming into a cold water and the difference out here is also is back in the day when comics wanted to do comedy Everyone was there to do comedy. Like if a kid walked in and goes, hey, I want to get a sitcom. We'd be like, get out of here. This, right. this is for comics. Right. But out here, so many people are are just, dirt. they don't really want it. They think comedy is a it's vehicle. It's a means to an end. And for you, right. you were coming from someone who had a, a success and was on TV, but right. it was something that was coming from your heart. Right. So now, how was it for you? It must have been weird coming in because, you know, there's a lot of bitches out there. I mean, <laughs> I'm talking guys. No, I'm, I'm, I have no problem with this. And if anyone's a problem, they can, I mean, because I'm friends with... Amazing comics like Rich or Wendy Leavitt, who are the nicest, nicest people. I mean, you totally. meet them and they're just wonderful. And you see them when you see Rich Scheidner on stage. I did a few gigs with him, and you're just like, God, this guy's just a beast. I mean, when you sit there and look at comedy and you go, That's what comedy is when you can just go in and talk about anything for an hour. But you run on here, the comics. Now you're sitting there, and there's a lot of cattiness, and there's a lot of guys who don't really want to do comedy, and there are the comics who appreciate it. Right. How were you received when you first went in? Because you were probably, I know exactly. What probably happened? Oh, what's the TMZ guy doing here? Yeah, and you probably got the team, even though they don't know that you know you're a UCS, you know USC film grad, right? You know you're an editor, so it's not like you asked to be on camera. It's not like you were sitting there going, oh, I want to be, oh, right? I want to be a host, you right? Wanna do, how the reaction when you first started doing it? Well, from, from comics.
1: So there, there's, there's sort of a two part to that. That's part of the reason why for the first year I didn't do a single book show. I was like, you know, because I, I had some you know, recognizability from television. I could have gotten on book shows, but I was like, no, like I'm not even, why would I do that? I'm not ready. I don't want to use it that way. So just, I just did mic after mic after mic after mic after mic, And then I started doing book shows and I definitely got some of the reception of what you're talking about of people who were like, what the hell? Like, why, who cares about this guy? Like, he's not funny. Nobody on that show is funny. Um, you know, just constant ragging. And when, um, I started doing stand-up shows with other guys from TMZ, specifically Rick, the guy who stood next to me. He's
0: he's the sort of like he's got another Jew fro.
1: Yeah, he's got another. He Jew sort of looks like
0: the actor Mark Lynn Baker from Perfect Strangers. <laughs> <laughs> like like not not Balky, the other guy. Yeah yeah yeah. He sort the, of has that look like that. I
1: think that's like um, one of the worst insults you can give <laughs> <guess>. someone. <laughs> that guy was a great actor. Right? He was very good. was very good. <laughs> Uh, yeah so yeah Rick is super funny comic and no, that was,
0: was Rick was a comic before he did Rick it Rick was or? a
1: comic before he did it and then this is the interesting thing about what you're saying is that so many comics the biggest thing that happened is comics wanted to be on TMZ they wanted like like oh you know get me hired to be in the newsroom which was eye opening for me because like to see that the end game for a comedy c- career could be like what I was doing that I had was not doing for passion you know that was TMZ was my job and it was fun you know being on the show was fun but the comedy that's like that was what I cared about like that was the end game but it was so funny to see so many comedians want to go the other direction um and also assuming that i had the clout to get anyone
0: higher right <laughs>
1: that was pretty funny too and also it like, it's like so many people say you know i'll oh, get me on this get me on the sports get me on the live yeah. like everybody does something real there so it's not they just they just don't hire talent and and i no matter how i tried could never express that to other comics they never really got it they're like yeah come on though you know like i'm funny come on um so that's more what that was the biggest response was can you get me on
0: now now you said when you and uh, rick started booking shows there
1: was like genuine disdain from but, other comics
0: it was was that because
1: well first of all I mean,
0: what people don't understand is you know it is called show business for a reason I, I used to host a show at flappers called cooper's angels it was uh-huh. all female comics and they were killer i mean i have kathy laban come in when i to close john Cameron come in and i have all jody miller all good female comics they weren't people who brought people. And I right. couldn't pack. I packed it the first night. But then I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to pack it to make this little bit of money. I just did it because it was a quality show. And people would be like, well, why don't you put someone on, a girl who's not that funny, that can bring people. And I said, well, because I have, my name is on it. And there is right. enough funny female comics out there that I can easily book a full, I mean, I did run it for like six months. Right. And that's the thing. For for the TMZ, you know the Ice House is going to sit there and say, "Hey, you know what, Rick and this and I think you had, you know, I, I, I in fact, I think I played the Ice House. Uh, it was a while back when one of your shows was coming in, and there was a bunch of you. I think it was Van on it or no? No, they, or Mike Anthony. Mike. He
1: he used to be the door guy at the uh, the Improv. Shorter black dude. He had short dreads. He cut him off now.
0: Did he work for Tinsley?
1: Yeah, yeah. He okay. still does. So and Katie Hayes, uh, she's a comedian too. So, she works there. So
0: of course they're going to sit there because that's going to bring people out. And then, and in right. all honesty, is first of all. Hey, it's going to bring people out, and that's what a club is open for. They right. bring people, out and just—I mean, it's funny—is the ice house is like the. the, the I always say, if you can't kill in the ice house, right? You go in that main room, and it's like you—it's it's like taking candy from a baby. You just they're like, oh my god, wait, they're laughing at my setup. But I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't tell you, and, and it's because of Bob Fisher, because he's groomed an, an amazing crowd over right. the years. It's been around;
1: everyone's been there. Right.
0: And uh, so, so you did you did a show, and were people pissed
1: at you? Like, oh like, yeah. Totally, totally. There were like, shit talking on Facebook and that kind of thing. What were they saying?
0: Because it, it doesn't concern them because it's not like it's a bunch of comics getting together to do a show.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, people feel like, oh, that's stage time that I'm not getting, which is another thing, like, about starting in L.A. Like, stage time is just brutal. It's just brutal to get out here. My buddy is in for town from New York, and I go out to New York and hang out with him, and we'll do, like, three shows a night. And he's out here for, like, two months, and I got him on, like, Two shows,
0: well, and that's
1: just—I mean, it's just you're clawing tooth and nail to get on stage in LA, and so people say, "Oh, these other people not only got on stage, got on stage on the main room on like a Friday." Like what? You know, I, I get it. I I get where their upset comes from, but you know, at the same time, you know, they they hadn't seen any of the material.
0: Right, and that's the thing—they just judge you as, "Oh, that's a TV guy." Right. It's, it's like you know, we did that in Philly when there was a guy who was a producer for the one morning zoo. Right. And he went on, but he sucked. And we right. said, we, we were like, wait a second, this guy sucks. But then we understood, well, he's getting. But when he would sit there and right. someone would heckle, and right. he'd tell us we were to work, we'd work there, and he'd tell us to keep him quiet. We wouldn't, because we're like, no. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're gonna take our spot, let's see. Let's yeah, see let's you, see get you get handle out. the heckler. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so now, but now as you're doing comedy. Are you are you feeling more confident? Because you know, you know, the one thing is, you you went through the open mics, and and the open mics are brutal out here. And I mean, I I I don't, as I said, I perform every once in a while, and I'll I'll do it, you know. And I'll do my friend shows, you know, and I'll do it. It's a book spot, so I'm not gonna go to a mic. Not that I'm above it. It's just I don't want
1: to. Yeah, there's a. I, not, I, I, yeah, clearly there's a I mean, point where it's just.
0: It doesn't. It doesn't. Once you get to a. There's point, There's diminishing returns. You. Like you know, some yeah. of these bars. You know, like, there used to be a place called Big Fish and Glendale. It's closed now. Why do it? Like people right. are like, oh yeah, I saw someone post. Well, if you're an LA comic and you haven't done Big Fish. You're not an LA comic. I'm like, well, I stopped by one time <laughs> and it sucked. And why right. would I want to do that? Because right. you walk away, and you're getting, you know, it, it's that mentality. Because uh, there is. You
1: haven't been to the shame party, Steve. Exactly. You're not part of the
0: click. Exactly, and then it's always funny because I always laugh because you know, and you got the, and and you're lucky for the fact that you did start getting to play the ice house and stuff like that. Yeah. And because, but that's what happens when you have a name. Right. I mean, you people recognize you, and unfortunately, you. But you went up and you delivered.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's the thing. That's the other thing that people don't understand is like, that only takes you so far. You know, you, if you get up on stage and you suck and you're not developing relationships, then you're not going to get booked again. Right. They'll give you, they want the one off for the money, but they don't want to be associated with something that isn't a quality product over time. They'll do it a hit here and there, you know, for, for the success it brings the club, but you have to keep delivering. Like, You know, I've been off the show for a couple months, and I've been booked more than I ever have in my life. Now, why'd you leave the show? That's (laughs) that's that's complicated. But the biggest reason is we, my wife and I, had a daughter. Okay. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. She's uh, she's five and a half months old. And now your wife is also in the industry. She is also in the industry. Now,
0: how how does that work? Did you meet her? How did you meet your wife?
1: Uh, I met my wife. I was at a karaoke party in like little Tokyo, you know, one of those little okay. rental rooms, and I was I was pretty inebriated. I was wearing leather pants. I was singing "Welcome to the Jungle."
0: That's all right. That's cool. And she
1: walked in, and, uh, and I was like, "Wow, she's beautiful!" Like I want to talk to her. And it was just this tiny little room, right? So the was whole, this pre TMZ or this is yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah this pre TMZ this is years just ten years ago now. Um, so uh, sh- so I thought that we had incredible chemistry that night. We sang Prince's Kiss together later on in the evening, and I thought it was amazing. And she was hanging out with my friend who was in town for just a month because he was trying to see if he was going to do his residency at uh, USC, if he was going to come out here for medical school. And so I was just, I would just keep, I mean, I wanted to hang out with him, but I also wanted to hang out with her, but I didn't want to do the like, oh, we'll right. tell her that I like her. Because, you know, it's like, that's kind of middle school. Let's just, let me just keep inviting him out. I invited him out like every night that month. We hung out so much and she never came out. She, except for one night. And this is while I was at the subtitling place. One night she comes out and I got stuck cause the guy who was on the late <sighs> shift called in sick who, and he called in sick all the time, the prick. <laughs> and so I got stuck working like 18 hours and I, she went out with them and I wasn't there and I was, pissed so i was like okay look i'm gonna have a party i'll have a party for halloween and i will invite her specifically and that way you know if she doesn't come then then i'll know and that'll be that and uh but she did come to the party and uh we lived right by santa monica where they have the big parade on halloween you know it's just chaos and tons of people dressed up super fun and so we went and had a great time and uh, i asked her out after that and the rest is history
0: well now so so tmz so you guys just had a daughter Yes, and so.
1: So we just had a daughter, and so my wife is working a ton. She's she's an executive at CBS, and she actually got another promotion a few months ago, and so now she's traveling some, and so it just came to a point where if I had to be in at work at six o'clock in the morning, and you know she's got a ten hour day that starts at nine, so. Well, then what are we gonna have a nanny come in at 5:30 in the morning right. and then stay there until I get back from the west side at 4:30 or 5, you know, dragging an ass and she's not home till later. That, then neither of us are seeing the kid at all. And if I go away for a weekend to, you know, to work a club or whatever, then it's 10 days. Nobody's really interacting with the baby and it's significant. Like it was just a it it wasn't right you know and she's doing so well that financially it was it was feasible for us to pull it off and you know i mean it's it's obviously you tighten the strings but uh but it was definitely definitely the right decision you know every morning i wake up with my daughter i feed her i change her we play on the couch we dance we roll around you know it's it's the best 2 hours of my day like just focusing on her and spending time with her
0: so then okay so then now with a stand-up now how often are you getting out and are you what kind of places are you playing and does it affect it also when you have to go out do you have to have a nanny come in when you're because you said if your wife works till 10 you know stage times you know, can be anywhere from eight and and it's a, it's a long night i mean sometimes stand-up can be a long night
1: yeah no it can be and that's the, we do have a nanny come in but she works more like daytime hours so like last night i was at the ha ha and then you know i just went and showed face at the parlor and at the store i didn't have sets there but you know, I had to set early at the Haha, ha, and so, you know, by the time I'm done going all those other places, I didn't get home till 1 o'clock in the morning. The baby's up at 6, 6.30, so I take care of her, and then the nanny comes in around 9, and then I can sleep a little bit, and then, you know, get some work done, and then, you know, come in, do this, or whatever, and, and be ready to go back out at night if I need to. We do have help.
0: Now now, in the beginning When you're doing stand up Now as you said You know Other comics would say Oh that's that TMZ guy Right Now would the crowd Sometimes sit there And say That's that TMZ guy And expect You to sit there It's like
1: And do pop culture jokes
0: Yeah like It's like Greg Byrne Tells a story How he wrote You know She's just not into you Right And his act's Completely different Right And he would Start booking shows where women would show up expecting like bachelorette parties going to see a show expecting him to talk oh, about the book. Oh, that's
1: the worst. And
0: he would. No, spe- <laughs> it's one thing about playing bachelorette parties, but they expect you to sit there and talk about that book you wrote. They expected that. Right. So people had a special. A lot of people were like, okay, you know what, you know what, this guy's. Gonna they talk still do. They so s- now. Now, when you started, did people think that right away? Like when you went on stage, did they? Did the crowd take you seriously at first, or did they sit there and think, okay, I mean, of course, once you start performing, they know you're a professional. But when they hear, you know, oh, this next guy, and they go, oh, did they sit there and think, oh, this is sort of just like a skit thing like they do on your show? Like, right. how, how did you have to get it? How did you break that uh, crowd, how
1: the crowd viewed well, that? It's still an, an important bridge that I need to gap on stage because, you know, I went up on Friday in Vegas at the South Point and I walk up on stage and this three group of three women so oh, my God, like they, you know, they keyed in realize oh, that's him, that's that guy. All they're thinking about is what they've seen of me on TMZ. So I do, I almost always do some topical pop culture material because, and I and I always talk a little bit about my time there at TMZ because it's like, it was a big part of developing my exposure and who I am to people in the audience. And if I just ignore it and deny it, they it's hard for them to get past it and just see my act. So I, you know, I mix in, you know, it's not the heart of my act, but I don't mind writing topical material. It's fun. Like, I don't care, you know, like, a lot of comics feel like, oh, you know, you're just wasting time writing topical material, but (laughs) it's like... I'm writing tons of material. I'm writing longer material and stories and real things that are going on in my life that I'm developing. And I'm also writing topical material. And honestly, I mean, how much of what you write and what you perform is going to end up in a special, like in the long run anyway, first of all, and even stuff that you write in a special, if you watch them 10 years later. They still feel dated a lot of the time, you know. Oh
0: yeah, I, and that's like for me because I tweet a lot. And the thing is, and that's said I don't perform a lot. I tweet. I mean, and I, I mean, I used to write when I, I used to write for a website when Cost Per Click was big, called Sklip. It was a very popular website. Uh-huh. I used to write 35, 45 jokes a day. And nice. We would sit there and we would go to different websites. And it was okay, the guy who was Jeff Martyr, who was a, a huge comic, who's from the Baltimore area. Got out of business completely after he hosted a show with Ringo Starr. He had hosted two shows with CBS. He was on the Tonight Show, all that stuff. And he, he was my he's my mentor. But I would write, and he would say, you know, just write jokes. We need ten jokes about shopping. Stupid joke, whatever. Right. And that's like me with Twitter. It's like I don't even when I was performing a lot, you know, I mean, I don't use any of the jokes I put on Twitter. Right. I just write them because for me, it's just fun. Like when I sit there and during the during the uh, convent uh, the debate, I was just popping shit out. Right. And people are like oh that's funny you know and it's like and this thing it's like it's just it's a process because it always if you're writing topical it means that you're you're writing so many people always sit there I love when people sit there and go oh I just wrote a uh, 25 minutes Oh, really loose Louis, Louis CK writes an hour every six months and he's freaking Louis CK you know right. right it's like you did not write 25 minutes right but that's also the also thing it keeps your writing chops which is a comic you need to do because yeah. I've seen so many comics that have sit there and when I went back East and would do some shows and people are still doing pretty much the same act they were doing from 10 years ago night, from 20 years wow, ago yeah. and i'm like wait i don't you know and it's like you don't flex that funny bone and that's the thing
1: i agree with that completely I, I i don't i don't know how to say it more strenuously yeah writing all the time is it's just so good for you and and writing topical material that you burn or you use for three weeks people appreciate it you know and 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 especially about the twitter thing you know, the stuff that you write on twitter is such a different medium than being on stage. It's so—I mean, there are comedians who are super successful and super funny on Twitter, but social media stars and people who are Twitter stars who try to convert it to stand-up—you've you, seen, seen those guys. Yeah, well,
0: see, <laughs> see, I think you know what happens is this: if you're a, a good comic, and you know—and I'm sure you are—I haven't seen your act, and I—I was—I mean, I—you know, like people—I was—I was—I mean, I—I I was. It, Five years into my career, I was headlining D rooms and C rooms, but then I got out of it. But I for whatever reasons. But you know, when you when I tweet, you know, you can always you have to shrink it. Right. So that's the thing. When you learn to sit there and write in a thing where you are doing 132 characters, when you go on stage, unless you're a John Mendoza or unless you're a Stephen Wright, whose butts were even longer, but you know, yes. and you can write because you know, uh, John Mendoza and Wright, those guys, they they tell like. Like 800 jokes like a set like, yeah and insane and, and they're gems yeah unless you can write when you're writing that Twitter stuff you know what you know what 15 tweets is about 45 seconds yeah get that. and they don't get that but if you're sitting there and if you're condensing it to tweet it's like that that helps as a writer because you sit there and you go on stage and you get the feel I'm sure if you sit there and do something on stage you go oh this is a really funny nugget I'm gonna break this down into some little things you can tweet them right yeah. So now, now, do you find yourself writing about your now that you're a father? Do you write about that, or are you are you touching on that, or, or is a that something bunch, you don't want to do? A bunch, man.
1: With? A bunch. Yeah, no. <laughs> not, not like I don't know the whole like personal barriers. I don't know. Like I, I everything for me comes from a place. Uh, which yeah, I, that's not totally true. But everything about in my life that I write about on stage comes from a place of love. And so you know, I write about my wife. I write about my daughter. I write about my family. Um. And it's not flattering all the time, but you know, it's like if you are real to who you are, and it's coming from that place, then people recognize it. And I think that's a really like uh, undervalued thing. Like I went and saw Bill Burr a couple weeks ago at the comedy store, and um, he's, you know, I, I I think he's at the top right now. But he's very mean, and he's very his content. Is so biting and acerbic, and so many young comics are just look up to him and just want to. They just want to say like, oh, this is you know the brashest, crassest, meanest thing possible, and they don't realize how much sweetness is in Bill Burr. Well, There's then, in, it's
0: intense. Well, people look at an act. It's also you know if you watch you know Nick Apollo. Nick yeah. a very heavy, heavy hitting. I remember I worked with him in San Diego when I lived down there at Fourth and B. This venue how like. 4,000, 1,500 people, whatever. And his stuff is just, first of all, it, it's because his, his attitude and at his delivery is very mean. Right. But when you listen to it, it's so intelligently written. And some of the crowds were just not getting it. And I'm sitting there going, Wait, are you just stupid? Are you it? because he's, do you think he's mean? Right. And it's like, it's not, that's their persona. And if you listen to the breakdown of the material, which a lot of people don't do, I mean, you know, hey, face it, Dice Clay, when Dice Clay was filthy as hell. But you know what, if you sit there and you didn't laugh at Dice Clay you're pretty much an because you know what? That shit was funny. Right. I mean, you can say it was gross. Yeah. Was it juvenile? Yes. Was it thing? But man, but <laughs> did, like, did he nail that character? And was it funny? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you put that. Cassette, I used to put that cassette in my car. And even the day the laugh, the night the laughter died, it's his live double CD or whatever right. from Dangerfields in front of like 15 people, and he's eating it half the time. And right. you're still dying because you're listening, going, "This is just brilliant." Right. Yeah.
1: Totally. So totally. Now,
0: now, now, how do how do the crowds react to you now Do they do they are they weaned off so much of you being a TMZ guy cuz now you've only been around for a little bit, away for a little bit, but they don't see that face all the time. So, can they sit there and are they start to disassociating now?
1: Um, they are and, you know, my act is growing, you know, a lot. So, it's like if they can't, I can win them over. You know, if they're still locked in that mentality, I, I usually can figure out where they are and what they are and, and talk to them. And, and bring them around
0: now what point of your of, of your stand-up are you at like now are you, are you like good at doing 30 minutes or are you like just that you feel comfortable doing 30 yet i mean because it's a big stretch and of course you know from opener to 15 well from eight minutes to 15 is a lot and 15 to 30 is a lot I mean, where do you think you are
1: well i was in maryland a couple weeks ago and i did 45 a couple nights in a row and uh you know there was uh it wasn't. It wasn't beautiful to do 45 for sure. The first night was great. Um, the second night was okay. It was, you know, country, more country audience. Um, it was kind of like a roadhouse bar kind of gig. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and so 45 felt like I, I finished strong. I started strong. To me, I I was not happy. Okay. Well, of course, you're,
0: you're never gonna be happy with your set. I mean, that that shows. That's the sign of a good comic. You're never happy. You can be on stage for forty-five minutes and you can rip forty of it, but you're gonna be pissed at the other five. Yeah. Or you can go on stage for fifteen minutes and kill it for fourteen minutes and yeah. thirty seconds. But if you flub one word, you're not happy.
1: But if it's shows... not your best set, it's your worst set. Right. You, right? But that shows that you're in the right.
0: right space. Now, are you performing a lot around here now?
1: Um, I perform. Uh, I don't get up a ton in Hollywood. It's just hard to get stage time. You know, I do perform at the Ice House, at the Ha Ha, ha at Flappers. Pretty regularly. Yeah. And All now, those places book me regularly.
0: Yeah. Now, Floppers, do, do the main room or the little room?
1: Both. Okay. Yeah. Floppers yeah. is
0: good. I mean, when there's a crowd, it's hit or miss sometimes because it's Burbank. Burbank's not a busy town on right. a Wednesday night. Right. And so now now you do perform with like. And
1: that. <laughs> the haha, it was funny. I was early for my show there last night. And so I walked past the old one to. I had to check that I been written. So I was like, oh, well, you know, where's the closest Bank of America? It was half a mile away. I walked that half a mile and back and ran into zero pedestrians. Now, like, now, <laughs> now, now is,
0: the other, is the old Haha closed now completely? No,
1: they're running it. I don't know. I don't think they're running it every night of the week. I know they're running it on weekends. They call it Shaky Town now. Okay. Um, and uh, Dante Chang runs a Saturday show there, which is fun. Um, you know.
0: I have no idea who that is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's Dante actually from it. D.C. He's young.
0: Okay. No, because I, I I played the I played a few times. I played one of Big Mike's shows there, and I okay. played uh, Kenny Thomas's shows there, and uh, Jerry Garcia used to book a show there. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. And it was fun. It was a fun time. As I said, it was fun getting out. But it's just like, you know, and now it's like you go into a show and there's like 20 acts, and, and, I, and I don't feel like hanging out. And I'm, and it's nothing against them, right? And it's nothing, but you know what? I'm not, you know, I'm not in this to make friends. Right. I'm, I'm not. It's like I want to do it. I don't. I don't need the click.
1: Well you know, that's an interesting thing about uh, like LA versus New York, you know, when I've been out in New York the last few years, the comics get a specific time that they have to be there. And they'll show up. You know, I I did a show at New York Comedy Club and Lenny Marcus showed up 3 minutes before his set started, did his set and was out 30 seconds after his set. And they that's how it is. Yeah. There's no like, "Oh, why didn't he stay to hang out?" Like that's how Lenny Marcus gets six sets a night in new york at good clubs and you know becomes badass right you know that's that's how and there there's like there's such this it's you know it comes from the entertainment industry and actors and you know selling things as a whole package oh you know you need to stay there you need to shake hands you need to be friends with all the comics and you know some nights you can do it and some nights you can't but there's definitely so much more of an expectation of that here Exactly. and it's does not foster improving your comedy. No.
0: Anyway, uh, that's a, that's been an hour. So you were. Are you, you
1: serious? Yeah, it's that's it's, like the fastest
0: gonna... hour of my life. Uh, give your info. Give your Twitter and all that stuff.
1: Okay. Uh, my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle is both Brian F. McDaniel, B-R-I-A-N F. McDaniel, M-C-D-A-N-I-E-L. That's Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. Just look up Brian McDaniel. Hi. Right. Um, when does this air? Uh, well, I'll tell you when we get okay, up there
0: right. uh, people so check check Brian out and also follow me on Twitter it's at Cooper talk that's at Cooper talk I tweet a lot go to my website CooperTalk.net. there's Do it. 420 episodes up there you can uh, send me an email at Cooper at CooperTalk.net. I respond iTunes stitcher one word Cooper talk Google Play uh, Google Play store the Cooper talk app going there it's free you can get it for your tablet for your Android device
1: Cooper Talk, Cooper Teasy.
0: Exactly. And also go to StopTheSalt.com. You know, when I got out of the uh, hospital with my health problems, I wrote that cookbook. It's low-sodium cooking for one without killing yourself. It's got 120 easy recipes, no pictures, no crazy ingredients. Just go buy it. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes
1: & Noble. No and- pictures of Ina Garden. Exactly. Zero pictures of her. Exactly. And so
0: do that and uh, check that out and buy it. Buy it for me at StopTheSalt.com because it's it's $10 and I'll sign it for you. You have to pay for shipping. Anyway, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll be back next week and you keep listening. Have a wonderful weekend.